This is Free Cookies from ESPNW. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is a podcast all about sports, wellness, and pop culture. And? 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 This episode is our season finale. This is the sad truth, everybody. We've just got to take a break. We have to take a cookie break because we have to... You know, cook up better cookies, even better cookies. But she means ideas and guests. No, I mean, we are going to serve up a season two of delicious variations on the oatmeal raisin cookie. It's just going to blow everybody's mind. We may even get off of the standard cookie slash human list, perhaps. No, actually, I am going to brainstorm between the end of season one and the start of season two a dozen new lists that I can compile throughout the season. People, she does not lie. But do not worry. Do not cry. Save your hankies. I said hankies. That's right. Hankies. Save them because you still have an entire fantastic, amazing, phenomenal episode ahead of you. And today we have not one, but two two Count them. very special guests. Who's our first one? First, we are going to be talking to the founder of To Write Love on Her Arms, Jamie Twakowski. That's true. And do you do you want to announce the second guest? Do you want me to announce the second guest? Me! <laughs> I am the second guest. That's right. I am putting Kate in the hot seat, and we are going to learn all about her new upcoming book, What Made Maddie Run, from Little Brown Publishing House. And that releases on August 1st. And you want to know how close August 1st is? Let's see. Well, let's put measurements on it, because I know Kate appreciates that. That's uh, exactly two days before our brilliant producer's birthday. Sarah Johnson's birthday is August 3rd, and my book releases two days before that. And that's how I always remember it. I think to myself... It's the beginning of the hottest month. Yep. And then I think, Sarah Johnson's birthday. By a hot author? And I mean... Hot? Like, as in, like, my writing sizzles? I, I was looking directly at Or that you. I'm super fly. The words just fry All on right, the but page. before my book launches, you and I... We're going somewhere hot. Yes. I figure... Why stay in the heat and humidity of New York City when you can fly when you can fly four hours to the heat and humidity of Mexico? We're going to Mexico. We are. We are taking a vacation, people. To the land of frozen margaritas. Praise. That is going to be one of the lists I make in season two is a list of frozen drinks at number one in consideration would probably be frozen margaritas. In fact, the I believe one of the top reasons why we're staying where we're staying is because Kate has been to this hotel yeah. and has praised the frozen margaritas. No, 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 no. Wait, is it frozen margarita Pina or Coladas. the pina? Aha. Anyway, I cannot wait to get to this hotel because do you know how when you meet your person? You mean like me? Yeah. When you meet your person, all of a sudden things you did in your past, you wish that they had been there for them. Like, when I have memories now of, like, backpacking through Europe, I always think, oh, my goodness, how amazing would this have been if I did it with Catherine? And so I have all of these memories. Backpacking. Okay. By backpacking, I mean stopping at all of the glamorous hotels with a purse on your shoulder. That's what I meant by backpacking. Okay, okay. You took that a little too hard in the opposite direction. Because we're going... My purse. (laughs) We're going to the Cape. Which I've t- it's a hotel I've talked about in Cabo for like two years. I'm really excited that you get to see it. And I made an extra realization. This and totally ties in. Yes. When I was booking it. Yes. Okay, when I was booking it, the guy told me that they're hosting this ultimate Waterman's Challenge, which sounds awesome. Ooh. Is it happening while we're there? Is that something we no, can no, no, get? No, 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 no. No, not when we're there. Actually, like August 24th through 27th. 
Okay, yes. But the reason why I think Kate is going to be particularly excited about this event, Kate just recently read, was it The New Yorker? New York Times? New York Magazine. Okay, news. I had The New York publishing part. So she read this article about global warming and basically... The end of the world. Basically the end of the world. And so... I'm very grateful that Kate read this article because now I've been trying to get her to use a a keep cup, like a reusable coffee latte glass forever, but she really likes how paper cups feel on her delicate little lips while she's drinking her latte. Um, No, I think you get more latte in a paper cup. And you also technically have told me you like the way the paper cup feels. I never said that. That's not. Anyway. I didn't say that. The reason why this event is cool is because they have planned on recycling 100% of the trash accumulated from the event and having 90% of the promotional materials on digital, a.k.a. no paper waste. The ultimate Waterman's challenge. Well, that's so cool. Like, I just wish more companies and events would take note and follow suit like this. So bravo to the Cape and this event. We are loving what you are doing. I'm going to be drinking my frozen margaritas in, and like, glass. Saving the world. Sure. One frozen margarita margarita at a time. (laughs) Should we bring on Jamie? We should probably bring on Jamie now. I did want a a little disclaimer that we're going to talk about certain mental health issues. Suicide will come up. And for anyone struggling, you know, it could be a tough listen. And we wanted to be able to throw out some resources. So please, you can go to tworightloveonourarms.com. That's T-W-L-O-H-A.com. They have a list of resources there. If you feel like you need to talk to someone, you can find contact numbers there. Um, we think Jamie is the perfect interview here to lay the foundation of a lot of the work being done in the suicide and mental health awareness space because he has such a rich history of it. And we think he's going to offer a good foundational piece for the forthcoming discussion. So without further ado, here's Jamie. The founder of Two Right Love on Her Arms author of the New York Times bestseller, If You Feel Too Much. Now I'm just reading your Twitter bio, but I'm going to go for it anyway. (laughs) Brother to at Jess Haley and at Emily Twerkowski. Uncle, surfer, music lover, basketball fan, INFP. Got to ask you what that stands for. And who is it? Oh, my gosh. Jamie Twerkowski, thank you so much (laughs) for joining us. So what we usually do with our guests is we read a bio. Your Twitter bio seemed robust enough for me to pull out. Robust is a good word. And ask, like, is there anything else you'd add to that at this point? How do you feel about that bio? I feel good. I feel like it's a mix of, like, bio-esque things, mm-hmm. like the, the work, but then hopefully, you know, like, down-to-earth human things, like being an uncle and liking basketball and having sisters. And what does INFP stand for? That is my Myers-Briggs personality type. Oh. Um, and all I... All I can rattle off is that the I stands for introvert and that 4% of the population are INFPs. 4%? Interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to research. Later, I'm going to research more about... We're going to Da Vinci code your Instagram bio. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But let's start off because I, to me, to write love on her arms, like I, having followed the organization and worn your gear and supported its mission for a number of years. Like I know intrinsically what it's about, but I am sure so many of our listeners don't yet. Can you give us a quick background on the organization and a little bit about the origin? Totally. Yeah. I love to start back at the beginning uh, because it was such a surprising beginning and we got our start in 2006. And back then it was just an attempt to help a friend that was struggling with the issues that we now speak to. So I met a girl named Renee 
Yoey back in 2006 in Orlando. And she was dealing with drug addiction, depression, a history of self-injury and suicide attempts as well. And in telling her story after spending some time with her or really after telling part of her story uh, and, and sharing that online, it was met with a really surprising response. And we began to sell T-shirts as a way to pay or to help pay for her drug treatment. And really the, the story took on a life of its own and the T-shirts kind of did the same. And if you fast forward 11 years, we've been at it ever since. And we've been inviting people into this conversation and hearing from so many people that relate to Renee or they have a friend or a family member who's live, whose life is similar to Renee. Uh, maybe they've lost someone. Maybe they're trying to help someone. And we've just been learning about these issues and trying to connect people to resources, to professional help, uh, and seen so many surprising doors open, you know, in the last decade plus. And really, we just get the opportunity to encourage people to know it's okay to be honest and to let people know that it's okay to ask for help. I was so thrilled when To Write Love on Her Arms was willing to partner with, you know, what made Maddie run my upcoming book. And the reason I was so thrilled was because I really had this strong feeling that Madison Holleran like, would have connected so thoroughly to To Write Love on Her Arms because of how you guys speak so well to young people. I mean, I even had coffee the other day with a young college student who struggles with certain issues and I pointed her to To Write Love on Her Arms and like later that night she wrote me like this long text message like, this is amazing, like the, the shirts and the branding, which sounds so cold branding, right? But the community and how it, it builds a community among young people is just like, it, it it's cool. And, and I say that to mean that it's cool and young people then feel okay to talk openly about how they might be struggling. And so what have you seen um, a, among like the community of young people about how they respond to, to this message, specifically from To Write Love on Our Arms? Well, first off, thank you. Um, those are super kind words, and, and that means a lot. You know, I, I think we, we've always tried to meet people where they are. And so we got our start in 2006 on MySpace, and it's totally okay to giggle if you need to about MySpace. <laughs> oh, am um, I not supposed to have one of those anymore? <laughs> <laughs> if you do, that's incredible. Okay. Um, but, but really, social media has been home base for us ever since. And thankfully, we've been able to grow and evolve and, you know, um, you know, make the transition to Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr and everywhere else. But, and then, you know, our team has, has kind of always been, been made up of, of young people. And I think just naturally we, we connected with music. We connected with kind of the beginning of social media becoming normal. Um, we value design, we value language. And, you know, with that, we, we value good writing and good art and good ideas. And, and so I think that's, just been hopefully close to the heart of, of what we do at the beginning and, and hopefully still today. And, and so I think a lot of times when you hear about these issues, uh, people may assume that, that it requires clinical language or it's, it's very cold. And, and um, obviously there's a place for, for research and clinical language, but I think we love trying to speak the language that, that people speak, you know? And, and so if we're talking about the context of social media, we, we love to try to uh, invite people into this conversation in a way that is relatable and, you know, disarming and comfortable. And, and so hopefully that's part of what people connect with. 
So, Jamie, speaking of inviting people into the conversation, I had one particular experience where I, I struggled, where I had a, a young person. I did an event at a school, and this young person came up to me after the event who I was quite taken with as an individual, and they opened up to me about their suicidal thoughts that they struggle with. And I was ill-equipped to respond with where to, this is before I knew about you, this is before I knew about to write love on their arms. Um, I was ill-equipped to give them proper advice and I, I felt frozen because I wanted to do everything in my power to help this individual. And I would just love to hear with your sensitivity and experience on this topic for people who have someone you know, who, who does open up and, and shares these thoughts, where would you direct them? What is the immediate advice that you could give someone where you can support them and, and give them hope? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and that's one that, that we get a lot and that I get a lot. And, you know, I think sometimes people feel like if they don't have the perfect answer or the perfect speech, then they shouldn't say anything. You know, we, we maybe avoid it because it, it feels beyond our expertise or outside of our comfort zone. And we try to encourage people to, to be honest. If, if you don't know what to say, then maybe you start there. If you're concerned about a friend and you want to approach them, but you don't know how to start, um, you know, maybe you just express what you can. You, you express that you love them and you're concerned and you're worried and you feel like they deserve better. Mm -hmm. And then I think more than anything, we end up really sounding like a broken record, just encouraging people to connect with professional help. So even, even, you know, thinking about me or our team, we want to be part of the process and we're not trying to present ourselves as the final solution. I mean, this happens with me all the time. I think where people think I'll have this grand solution or plan. And, and so often my answer is, Hey, you should go to counseling or you should encourage your friend to go to counseling or, or to, to step into drug treatment. And so we just love to highlight the work of professionals. And we've learned that so many people do this work as professionals, you know, whether you're talking about substance abuse or mental health or suicide prevention. And I think we get to serve as a bridge and we love to invite other people to try to play that role, um, to know that you don't have to, you don't have to be the entire process, you know, and, uh, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. Um, I have a friend who is a professional counselor and he just talks about the need to balance honesty with compassion when you're trying to help someone. And really his simple definition was that compassion means they know that you care. They know that you love them and you're with them and for them. But honesty means that you're willing to ask the hard question. You're willing to say the hard thing. And he just talked about kind of living in the tension of those two things that we want our friends to know that we love them. But with that, we need to be willing to tell the truth and, and say what needs to be said or ask the question that might be scary or uncomfortable. And I, I couldn't agree more with highlighting the, the professionals and encouraging people to find therapists. I guess my my reaction, especially with the person that I met, he was so young and not in a very good financial situation what would you say for someone who can't afford professional help? I think we've, we've seen some amazing folks who do this work and are willing to do it on a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I have, I have friends that work as counselors and have seen people for $10 a session, you know, 
Um, That's amazing. I think oftentimes people overlook or assume the worst when it comes to insurance. And uh, sometimes, and, and hopefully it's it's getting better. Obviously, we're in a really unique moment and, and challenging moment. But oftentimes, I think people forget to, to check or start with their insurance because, um, you know, there are times where insurance will cover or help cover this. And so we want to encourage people to at least at least do the homework and at least ask the question. And so I think those are those are two you know areas that come to mind. Um, there's there are great people. You know it can be very expensive, especially especially for someone who's struggling in that area. Uh, so we think it's it's incredible when we come across folks who who are willing to to work with people because they they want to help, and it's not about you know, making a bunch of money at the end of the day. And, and so I've been so impressed when I hear about folks who offer that sliding scale. Now, part of the book is examining a lot of the variables at play for high school and college age kids today. And in the research for the book, I was really surprised about how the anxiety and depression numbers in, in college were on the rise. And I was wondering, because I know so many of the young people you guys engage with at To Write Love on Our Arms are that age, what insight do you have about, like, why this is happening? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I do think there, there's, you know, in a way there's, maybe there's been bullying for decades. There's been... Uh, young people having to deal with pressure and rumors and gossip for decades. But I think we live in such a unique moment because of technology, because of social media, um, where I think on so many levels, young people feel like they can't, they can't turn it off, you know, where everything is always going, um, whether you're, whether they're thinking about their classmates or keeping up with, uh, you know, celebrities or pop culture. Uh, so I, I do think that is, you know, a real, a real element, obviously, you know, when you think about the combination of, of bullying in the context of, of social media, we know that that is, you know, probably the hardest it's ever been for young people, because there's, there's things that just live on and spread like wildfire, you know, through texting and through, through social media. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing that, that definitely comes to mind as a, as a unique challenge for today's young people. All right, Jamie, next time you're on, I promise we'll talk some basketball as well, okay? <laughs> I promise. It's, it's okay. I'm just but, glad to be here. Yes. And we are seriously so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. And anyone who doesn't know Jamie or to write love on their arms, please, please, please check this amazing human being out and his organization and all of the phenomenal work that they are doing. Thanks for your time, Jamie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. To find out more about To Write Love on Our Arms, you can check out their social media handle, which is at T-W-L-O-H-A, or check them out on the interwebs at www.TWLOHA.com. Okay, y'all, it is time for the interview of the year. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I am sitting here with... My co-host and my girlfriend and the author of the upcoming book, What Made Manny Run. And recovering New York Knicks fan. And 
yes. Well, you know, now that you say that, that's really interesting because I wouldn't have thought to put that in your bio. But I'm sitting here with your bio open on your website. And in true fashion, like we do on free cookies, I'm going to read it at you. Okay, cool. And I want to know if you relate to these words. So according to Kate on Kate's website, <laughs> Kate Fagan is a columnist and feature writer for ESPNW, ESPN.com, and ESPN the magazine. That's a lot of ESPNs. She's also a regular panelist on, oh, here it comes again, ESPN's Around the Horn and can also be seen on Outside the Lines. Previously, Fagan spent three seasons covering the 76ers for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and she lives in Brooklyn, New York. How do you feel about that, Kate? I feel like that bio is a nuts and bolts bio. Nuts and bolts. Yeah. I don't feel like you actually get like... So if I met you at a party and I said, tell me about yourself, you wouldn't just spit that out? No, I wouldn't spit that out. Obviously. By nuts and bolts, I mean like you didn't get to see the leather seats of the car. All you saw was like the little nuts and bolts of the car. There was no upholstery. There was no ornaments. There were no flourishes. So do I relate to that bio? I guess on like a stripped down base level, but You think no. you're more ornamental than that? I think I'm, I'm like a Christmas ornament. Speaking of Christmas ornaments, I did once eat a Christmas ornament. It, was, it looked like a cookie. Was it shaped like a cookie? It looked like a sugar cookie. And who am I to was know? Was it like those Christmas ornaments that you make in arts class at school where you, you know, you actually have to... It's an actual bake them. Yes. It's a pottery. No, 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 no. It was an actual cookie that then had like the glaze to keep it for now until the apocalypse. And at some point when I was like 18 or 19, I know I was younger (laughs) and it was I thought it was a cookie. I thought it was a sugar cookie. How long did it take you to figure out that it was not, in fact, an edible cookie? We still have the ornament and there's a bite out of it. (laughs) And my parents like to show it to people. I think they think it conveys my appetite as well as my zest, for, zest life. for life. Hey, <laughs> jinx. Um, so, speaking of ornaments, I—that's actually a very relevant story for free cookies. That I once tried to eat a Christmas ornament that was in the shape of a cookie. So you're like a real, living, breathing cookie monster. <laughs> <laughs> you're Ashi's role model. That's my dog. Like if I was posting one of those, cor- you get that Christmas ornament, Julia. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's a long story behind why I call her Julia. Yeah. But still. Uh, Okay, back on track. We have important things to talk about that do do not include non-edible Christmas ornaments. So we're going to talk about your book today, What Made Maddie Run? And it's coming out on August 1st. And I have been there for a lot of the making of this book. And in fact, this wasn't the first time that I actually met Kate, but this was the first time that I would say we met and it actually had, it was impactful and that we really got to know each other. It was the first time it was impactful. The first time, the, the very first time she didn't make an impression. <laughs> she was not so memorable the first couple times. Um, no, but we were speaking at an ESPNW event. And the, the big first two memories that I have about our conversation is that you immediately started talking about how much anxiety you get every single time you have to be on Around the Horn, which is a television show that Kate mm-hmm. is a panelist on. on I ESPN. hope that was like a prompted comment that I offered to you. No, it, it came out pretty fast. And then the next thing that happened where you told me about this book that you were writing, which was following the story of a young woman who died by suicide. And so these were my first two memories of you is was talking about 
a young woman who died by suicide and how much anxiety that you get. And so in that moment- You really wanted to grab a drink with me, huh? I did think you were really hot. And so I kept nodding my head and I couldn't tell if I'm like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) This is going to be the heaviest human being alive and we're only going to talk about subjects like this. But uh, (laughs) clearly, I'm glad things worked out. But what I'm trying to get at- Mm is could you kind of walk us through the listeners through a background of Madison Holler and the woman that you wrote about in your book, um, the origin of how you even became connected with her story, just so the listeners understand who this woman, uh, what her story is and why it's important. Yeah. So Maddie Holleran, and I call her Maddie now because I do through writing the book feel like I know her in some small way, and that's what her friends and her family called her. So Madison Holler grew up in New Jersey, She was a soccer player and a runner, and she eventually decided to run at the University of Pennsylvania. So she was recruited to run track at UPenn. And when she got down to UPenn, very quickly during her freshman year on campus, she started to struggle with anxiety, depression, mental health, and was still running track. And she, at the start of her second semester, she jumped off a parking garage in downtown Philadelphia. And now I'm giving you just the quick hit version of that because then I will um, back it up. But so I had lived in Philadelphia for three years covering the Sixers and my sister had run cross country and track at Dartmouth. So I immediately felt a kinship to Madison Holleran and to this story. And the headlines coming out immediately after her death made it clear that there was so much more to unravel because it was you know beautiful young girl jumps to death over grades Mm -hmm. and it you just don't make that kind of decision for one specific reason that you could pinpoint in a news headline so at ESPNW we decided with the help of um, Allison Overalt who is our editor-in-chief that we wanted to be the people to tell Madison's story in the most insightful, nuanced, compassionate way possible. And so we ran a magazine piece that also ran on ESPNW.com two years ago now about Madison Holleran and called perfectionism. Yes, called Split Image, uh, Pursuit of Perfection, how social media is impacting young people. Um, We didn't get into necessarily the rising rates of anxiety and mental health among young people as much as I do in the book, but that particular magazine story was very widely shared and read um, like millions and millions of people and so after that and then the response to that story made it clear that there was more to tell more to say. So beyond the fact that you had those years spent in Philadelphia that your sister ran track and you ran track for a few years I ran cross country in high school yeah. So beyond those connections you played collegiate basketball Mm -hmm. at Colorado and you talk about it in the book uh, the struggles that you had as a college athlete and how many times how close you got to wanting to to straight up quit yeah and to the extent that you went to to try to get out of going to practices Um, I guess what I'm really curious about is did you see yourself in Maddie was there this you know connection between the two of you and what I find really fascinating, obviously I know this because I know you well, as you were writing this, how did it affect your mental health? Mm. Because being that close to that kind of story for so long, I mean, the effect that must have on your mind and your interactions, I can only imagine are incredibly heavy. 
truthfully, I did not feel connected to Madison Holler and in like a guttural, I know exactly what she went through way. If I'm being completely honest, mm-hmm. I thought that cosmetically I had all of the reasons to, as a journalist, gain the trust of the family because I could get into that world and understand her world and I did understand her world so it was more of a I had a family member who went to an Ivy League and and ran in the same meets that Maddie went to I also played college sports I had lived in that same area and so I thought that that would be the way to gain just access right Mm -hmm. more than anything it wasn't like I am Maddie and Maddie's story is my story and only I can tell it. It was just, and I don't even know how healthy that would have been. Maybe were there any echoes for you, perhaps? No, I can, yeah, I'll definitely get to that. Because I think, and I say this now, like, in some ways I am the absolute worst person to have written that magazine story and written this book because I don't struggle, like, broadly speaking, with, like, mental health issues and although everyone does to some degree so like at times I thought that was a limiting factor like well I can't know the like the true pain of a mental health issue but in other ways I was like no I'm the absolute best person to write this book because I think there was a level in the beginning of like detachment where I could like pursue this from a journalistic angle and get the right information in play and get the right interviews because I wasn't consumed with this is my life and you know I feel the same way as her and this is you know this is life or death for me it, w- it wasn't that and so I think the push and pull of like having so many connection points to her but not being like overwhelmingly immersed in the story allowed me to then like be detached when I needed to be but connect in a knowing way when I needed to because those connection points that I did have like Madison wanted to quit when she got down to UPenn and I wanted to quit Colorado when I first got there and knowing the perfectionism a lot of times in the running world I could see that being mirrored back and knowing that occasional darkness that can come over you when you first get to college because I felt that these were all like key connection points that I feel allowed me access to understand Madison but then when it came to you know suicidal thoughts, that was something that I had to then understand better through doing reporting and trying to get it, not feeling like I necessarily had all the answers on that front. You, you say that you understand her now because obviously you did a prolific amount of research to, to create this, but do you feel like you know her? Do you feel like, do you, excuse me, do you feel like you knew her now? Does this actually feel like this was a person that you spent time with that was in your past? Uh, No, I don't think I know Maddie because to some degree, I think having ever been in her presence or talked to her or heard her laugh or watched her run or gotten a hug from her is just the fabric of what it takes to have that kind of like human connection that you say like at some point in my life like you tangibly felt somebody yeah and I will never have that um I do however dream about her and and you know you know that because I have thought about her so much and I think in some ways I 
understand her, but in some ways she baffles me. And I think, I'm, you know, having talked to her family and something, there's still, of course, like elements of mystery there for them as well. Because if anybody had fully understood her, you know, that would have been, that would have gone a long way toward, you know, changing the outcome of Madison Holleran's life. But like, she didn't give anyone everything. Just like very few humans give one person everything. I mean, if, if that's even possible. True. Um, you also mentioned how you were the perfect person to write this book because you actually don't have those daily struggles with mm-hmm. mental health. So in writing a book as, as delicate as this is, what kind of research did you have to do on the topic of suicide? And also... I would imagine it's dramatically changed the way that you personally look at suicide and the way that you would like other people to understand it. Yeah, it's dramatically changed my view of the world. I think I, I've I've felt that just from what I've learned through you, through yeah. watching you do this. I mean, because I, starting at ESPN and as we've talked about on this podcast, tackling issues of LGBT sports community, I have, and I know this is a word that, repels a lot of people but I, I've had discussions around the word privilege right like mm-hmm. you know what you know being straight feels like to somebody versus being gay and I had spoken so openly about issues of privilege and not one time until writing this book did I ever consider mental health a privilege never and then after so much research and so much introspection I now could not be more grateful for anything in my life that then for the most part when I wake up in the morning, I feel happy that there's another day and excited about the day. And now that that has its ups and downs, but writing this book has just opened my eyes to mental health and how so many of us are so, so lucky because it's so often out of our control how we do feel. I I agree. And as someone who comes from the wellness world that you know can be a little woo-woo and just choose to be happy and you have the power, you have the choice. And after everything that I've learned through you, through this experience, I couldn't agree with you more that mental health, good mental health is a privilege. And, um, you know, it's something that I've struggled with. And you know this, I, I talked to... Uh, one of my doctors about dealing with like mild depression and her answer was so beautiful and she was like oh honey every single human is going to deal with at least mild depression at some point in their life and when she said that to me that was this beacon of light you know this light at the end of the tunnel but I'm wondering so that's for me it was just like very mild depression like who who is this book geared towards because obviously it's going to be very relatable to young people and to collegiate athletes. Mm -hmm. But in my humble opinion, I feel like this book is for absolutely every human. I want to, yeah. And I, I want to answer that question, but you mentioned something earlier about like writing about and talking about suicide. And this is particularly important to me because of the lengths I went through to make sure that I didn't, cross any lines when it came to discussing suicide and how I talked about suicide because that is a very tricky issue I mean I think a lot of people will have that conversation top of mind because of the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why right 
And even in our split image piece on ESPNW, there are things I would do differently now in the accompanying video. So for this book, like we, we took the manuscript to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We made sure that Madison's family, besides them just giving me access to her iPhone and her computer and so many different personal resources, like wanted to make sure that we did not cause any additional damage in the writing and reporting of this book and dancing the line of like journalism, which is trying to answer questions of like who, what, where, why, when, and often at conflict with the rules of writing about suicide, which can often shut down like knowledge of the details that like as a human mind, you just naturally have curiosity Mm -hmm. about. So we tried to dance that dance in this book, but Everywhere, including To Write Love on Our Arms, where we placed the book, everyone felt strongly that like we did it in the most respectful way we could possibly do. And that that's obviously crucial to me because it was heartbreaking after writing Split Image. I mean, 99% of the emails and the feedback were like, this help open up a conversation. And then there was that 1% that was like, you're going to cause, cause a suicide cluster. You're go- Someone who reads this will now think of you know and see Madison's mm. um death as like something to mimic right and like the, so they were acting like as a glorification the well I mean you're right like the suicide rules would be like don't ever publish her suicide note don't talk about the way right. she died and now as a journalist you want to answer certain questions that people will have curiosity about and so in this book I actually have an essay that's like the rules of writing about suicide where I talk to a ethicist in this field who does this kind of work and we we push and pull on what those should be because it's not hard and fast right now you know there are rules in place but they they're changing because it's a very young field it's only been around for 50 years like the the ethics of writing about suicide um but who is this book for I mean I think I hope it's for everyone because I think even someone who might not say and talk about and think about on a day-to-day basis like issues of mental health or self-harm or suicide at some point in your life you will deal with it or know someone someone, or have to have a conversation that could be so challenging or never have a conversation you should have had right type thing so it's about college sports to some degree because Madison was a college athlete so it's about the resources and athletic departments and how behind they are when you compare the resources they place to the physical health of an athlete versus the resources they pay towards the mental health of an athlete. I mean, the disparity there is night and day. So it's about the perfectionism that young people are facing in a world now that is so much about building your own brand from the time you're almost eight or nine (laughs) It's about how college now is a list of like, I use the phrase because it's a book, Excellent Sheep. It's about jumping through hoops and it's not necessarily about finding your passion. And then what happens when you get to a high intensity place like college, whether you're an athlete or not, and all of a sudden your your vocation, whatever you've been doing that you thought was your passion gets put in the pressure cooker and you realize that you've been doing things for a college application or to make your parents happy or to because they had such high social capital and then you're often left with your identity 
dismantled in some way when you get to college. And so the book is all about all of these things. It's about how and why rates of anxiety and mental health are rising among young people, including among athletes, what's causing that, and using Madison's story as a way to get into this broader conversation. So this is going to be hard, but if you could wrap up everything that you've invested in Maddie in the writing of this article and the writing of this book into a succinct one to two sentence takeaway, what would it be? You're asking for the elevator pitch of this book? Not an elevator pitch. If you were sitting in front of someone who needed this. Yeah. And they needed the information now and couldn't read it. What would you say to them? I would say that they would be surprised by how many people that they had no idea were struggling are struggling and that there's a line in the book that I use where I say it's illogical to think that just because the screen doesn't have a scratch that the hard drive can't malfunction and I know you asked for a couple sentences, but like, <laughs> I guess that is small paragraph, right? That what I would say is like, even if you if you can't read this book right now, know that it will give you hope that there is a conversation that you can have and that can be jump started with the people around you. Awesome, Kate Fagan, author of What Made Maddie Run, Love of My Life, and fantastic writer. Thanks for being on your own show. And uh, Ornament Eater is and, what I like to be tagged as as well. And Unedible Cookie Christmas consumer. Ornament Consumer. We'll come up Thank with you, an Catherine acronym Beauty. for that. So before our long hiatus between season one and season two, here's a short break. We'll be right back with more free cookie in. Everyone in the neighborhood knew about Bobby. Bobby, the basketball boy, they called him. Bobby wanted to go pro someday, so he was always out in the driveway shooting hoops. But one day, his mom came out and told him, Hey, your wife wants you to take out the trash? His mom was visiting, and Bobby was a grown man. He had kind of missed his window. Plus, no one had ever seen him actually make a basket. But on the other hand, Bobby had heard how Geico could save him money on car insurance, so he switched and saved. So, it was all good. All right, so that's going to do it for not just episode 12. Season one of Free Cookies. But season one of Free Cookies. But we did some awesome stuff this first season. I'm pretty proud of us. And by us, I mean you and me and also. And everyone who produced the show and all of the phenomenal guests that we have had on the show. Should we recap some of the, yeah, I think because our we, highlight moments? Yeah, we had both funny and meaningful highlight moments. Did we not, Catherine? Uh, we definitely did. I mean, obviously, the standard cookie list is going down on the Hall of Cookie Fame. I think of the list of the things that were awesome this season, the standard cookie list was number one. Of course, because she created it. Number two was finally realizing that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because somebody wrote in to freecookies at ESPN.com and told us that Die Hard came out in the summer. So pretty sure that totally exiles it from the... Christmas movie discussion. Can y'all tell that this list was not ordered by me? No. And number three. Just kidding. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Macaron. 
the macaroon versus macaron debate. Exactly. Jammy Dodgers? Jamie Come on. Dodgers, cookies versus biscuits. And then obviously, to flip it, we had some pretty awesome conversations around sexuality, fluidity, gender, misgendering. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mili Hernandez discussion that we had, we got a ton of awesome feedback from you guys about diving into not just like the fun, quirky topics that we do, but also like the ones that are deeper and that we actually all perhaps have like a universal experience with. So Absolutely. And we all appreciate you taking this ride with us through some comedic, bumpy moments like me working on my idioms, which let's face it, they're never going to get better. Oh, oh, oh. Before we go, we have to do that last one. So I have got, y'all, y'all, I have in my iPhone a note here to mention this last Failed idiom. It's not even actually an idiom, guys. It's not guys. really an idiom. So, we, I, so the other day, we were. I, this is actually, I just pulled open my iPhone notes. We were crossing the street, and I, I like to jaywalk in New York because it's legal. She's a very aggressive and, walker. And the people were beeping, and then all Our of a sudden- Our producer is fist pumping right now. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we were like avoiding traffic, and you said to I me- I just basically thought I was going to die, but you know. And so Catherine says to me, I just follow my baby. I'm like a lemur. And then I said, you mean a lemming. And she's all- Whatever, small and cute and starts with an L. And that's what happened as we crossed the streets of New York. That That's a typical interaction so between we had, the two of we us. We had the failed idioms, lemur, you know. Lemming. While we're... Do you think a lemur knows it's not a lemming? Do you think a lemming wants to be a lemur? Well, clearly a lemming wants to do whatever what about the a lemur llama? does. Do you think llamas follow people too? I, or do follow all animals that start with L? They could be followers, including lions. A lemur lions? and a lemming could probably fit on a llama. It could. So And get eaten by a lion. And while we are taking our breather between season one and season two, we wanted to hear from you guys about anything. If you have guest ideas for season two, if you have topic ideas, if you have any sort of feedback, hit us up at freecookies at ESPN.com. I know we said we're going on vacation, but what that actually translates to is prepping for season two while drinking frozen margaritas. Okay, before we say goodbye, I just want to surprise. What? You hear that, people? What is that? I brought cookies. This is a surprise. Sarah, do you want a cookie? Would you like to know what I brought? Producer I brought Sarah wants a cookie. Two gluten-free peanut butter delicious cookies covered in sea salt. That, and that looks not like oatmeal raisin. Well, calm your panties. I couldn't find them. Okay. You want to see what the finale cookie is? Yes, yes, yes. Take it out. Whoa! It's a it's a it's a black and white macaroon. It's a green and it's a mint and chocolate macaroon. It is not on the standard cookie list. No, it, guys, it looks it like a big Oreo covered in chocolate, and Catherine's gonna eat it. What flavor is that? Um, I'm gonna have this peanut butter one. Good flavor. All right, free cookies is from ESPNW. It's true. And please be sure to check out ESPNW for all of your women's sports news features, as well as lifestyle and culture tips. This podcast is produced by Sarah Johnson. She remains awesome, and we couldn't do this podcast without her. It's true. It's edited by Brendan Rosen, and we got production help from Martin Onebu. So we got to go eat these cookies, y'all. But don't worry. Just go get some cookies, start on episode one, and listen to us on repeat. And before you know it, we'll be right back. Bye-bye.